Welcome back, everybody, to the David Pakman Show. Luke Beasley here, filling in for David while he is away. We have a fantastic show ahead of us, so let's dive into it. Republican presidential candidate and Senator Tim Scott uh, did a town hall on Fox News with Sean Hannity and wasn't super interesting, but the one moment I do want to look at that is interesting to me is in line with what we've seen from both Tim Scott and some of these other Republican candidates in this current 2024 primary field where they're polling really low, but they refuse to criticize the guy who is polling um, the highest being Trump. Tim Scott is petrified, and so many of these other individuals, whether it be Vivek Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley, they're petrified of criticizing Trump or at least distinguishing themselves from Trump. And instead, it's this weird message of, well, I just want to distinguish myself from Biden. But you can't do that. You can do that, but you can't do that alone until you get to the general. Otherwise, uh, you won't get there if you don't win this primary. Of course, that's how these election processes work. But Tim Scott is still very afraid. And you'll notice that in this clip of criticizing Trump or DeSantis. And he says a little thing on Ukraine, which... Okay, good. He's trying to distinguish himself there. But then outside of that, he says, but I really want to show you the difference between me and President Biden. Yes, my name's Aaron, and good evening, Senator and, and Sean. Uh, my question is this. In a world that we know is kind of in a downfall, and we can all agree to that, what are your main differences with the other candidates, such as Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? What are your main policy candidates or differences? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is that I do care who wins the Ukrainian conflict. I believe Ukrainians are willing to put their lives on the line, and I hope Zelensky pulls it out. This summer offensive will be really important in that engagement. But more importantly, what I would say, the biggest difference is between me and Joe Biden. That's where I'm focusing my attention. He's our problem. Hmm. So I agree with him on Ukraine um, in that I disagree with a lot of the Republicans on their odd um, and incorrect stance on Ukraine where they pretend like supporting Ukraine is somehow being a warmonger or something like that. Um, we've seen that from MAGA recently. But outside of that, he just says, the biggest difference is between me and Joe Biden. Yeah, every Republican is going to say they're different than Joe Biden. That's not going to win a primary for you. And so then I want to get to a bit of analysis on CNN from uh, Sarah Longwell, who does a lot of focus groups with MAGA voters, and she kind of broke down what's going on here, where the primary is becoming, while it's getting more and more full, it's still becoming this uh, this movie where Trump's the main character and everyone else, they're just supporting actors and actresses. And so because of that, unless something changes radically, Trump's definitely going to be the nominee. And so then the question has to be, what the heck are all these candidates doing then? And she believes at least a number of them are trying to become Trump's VP choice. Take a look. You know, I think this is actually the key question is that is there anybody with the uh, the necessary political talent to take on Donald Trump? And I think for a lot of voters, they thought Ron DeSantis was going to be that guy. You know, when I was doing focus groups several months ago after DeSantis had his big win and Donald Trump had sort of suffered a string of losses for the people that he's in, he had endorsed. There was I was seeing a lot of activity in the focus groups where people were really interested in moving on and they all really liked Ron DeSantis. The problem is, is that the more that they've seen of DeSantis, the more they say things like, you know, I don't think it's his time yet, or he'd make a good vice president for Trump. And because Trump, whether it's the indictments or uh, because he's able to play grievance politics, he's he's able to sort of suck up all the oxygen. And because they these other candidates have decided to defend him in the face of these indictments, they've all become these bit players in the central drama controlled by Donald Trump. And so I just haven't seen sort of the political talent or the political will to seize these moments and elevate themselves. They're all deciding uh, to just play second fiddle. And I think there's a lot of people in this race that are playing for VP already. I guess that would make sense. I really wish, you know, I oh, sorry, guys. Um, I really wish that if you were getting into a race, a presidential race, it was because you actually 
thought you had a shot of winning and you actually thought that you should be president of the United States. Not this weird just raising your profile thing or um, trying to become a VP of choice. Obviously, that's often the game that's played. And uh, so we just deal with it. But I do wish it was always an authentic attempt to become president because then the analysis of these types of races are a little bit is a little bit strange, right? Okay, Tim Scott, does he really think he's win or he could win or is he just trying to become the VP choice? But that doesn't seem likely at all because Trump, at least behind the scenes, based on reporting, has indicated he wants to choose a female running mate. And so that makes sense for someone like Dickie Haley. But then in a primary, Trump can't help himself to speak very poorly of all these other individuals. Um, Nikki Haley being one of them, he's kind of criticized, so that would make it less likely he chooses her as his VP running mate. Who knows what's going to end up happening, but definitely an odd uh, environment developing in the primary field, at least on the GOP side. And uh, as Sarah Longwell mentioned, because of Trump's legal troubles, even though that's hurting him generally with Americans, that's my belief, and polling seems to indicate that, um, in the primary field, it's creating a situation where all these Republicans, because they have to go along with a two-tier justice system talking point that hurts Republicans, helps Democrats, and they can't make the base mad, they have to go along with the idea that Trump's this huge victim. But if you go along with that, then the narrative becomes Trump is this brave warrior who's fending off the terrible deep state trying to take them down. So then all these candidates who are supposed to be saying they're the good choice are serving a role in propping up Trump as this hero, and that is the exact opposite uh, thing you'd want to do if you were trying to defeat Trump, of course, and it's not aligned with the facts, of course. So not a good strategy in my mind, but that's what's happening on the Tim Scott uh, campaign front. Well, speaking of Donald Trump, he did a Fox News interview with Brett Baer that you uh, saw a little bit of from producer Pat's show yesterday. And round two was broadcasted out or something on Fox News. Um, and so we have more clips from that. And the moment I have for you now is so dang bizarre, stunning, humiliating for Trump. And just a moment on television you don't see too often where Brett Baer poses a very good question to Trump based on something he was bragging about. And Trump just has a complete confused malfunction, um, as you're about to see. Before I look at that moment with you, um, this is from USA Today. Huh? Donald Trump, pardon recipient, would face the death penalty under his new plan. Part of Donald Trump's record in office freeing convicts with long prison sentences for relatively minor drug offenses has run up against one of his 2024 campaign planks, the death penalty for drug dealers. Trump seemed rattled this week when told that Alice Johnson, a high-profile pardon recipient, would be vulnerable to execution under his new criminal justice proposal. Huh? Trump said during an interview broadcast Tuesday when Fox News anchor Brett Baer told him that she'd be killed under your plan. And indeed, uh, confusion was gushing out of Trump in this moment after he was told that uh, as the article noted, Alice Johnson, an individual who was a nonviolent drug offender who Trump pardoned while he was president under his new proposal that he's been campaigning on of implementing the death penalty for um, drug dealers, she would um, be someone subjected to possibly being executed. Take a look. As an example, a woman who you know very well was in jail. She had 24 more years to... Served. She served for 22 years. She had 20 Alice Johnson. Alice. She was in the Super Bowl. High quality. Oh, yeah. I said, how many years? And she was on a telephone call, and they were involved in selling marijuana, mostly marijuana. And she got, like, 50 years in jail. But she'd be killed under your plan. Huh? As a drug dealer. No, no, no. Under my... Oh, under that? Uh, it would depend on the severity. It but would depend on the severity. Let's just watch that little part one more time. That's a level of panic that you don't see too often from any of these individuals, but uh, Trump included. Take a look. Involved in selling marijuana, mostly marijuana, and she got like 50 years in jail. But she'd be killed under your plan. Huh? 
as a drug dealer. No, no, no. Under my oh, under that, uh, it would depend on the severity. It but would depend on the severity. She's technically a former drug dealer. She the she had multi-million dollar cocaine ring. Any so, drug dealer. Look. So even it, Alice Johnson in that ad. She can't do it. Okay. By the way, if that was there, no, she wouldn't be killed. It would start as of now. So you wouldn't go to the no, past. So this highlights a couple things. The first being how incorrect of a policy pr proposal that is. But the second being, and I think we're all very aware of this, even the things he says and he proposes and he promotes, he doesn't understand, care about, or have any actual substantive belief in based on some policy analysis. Come on, as if. And so there, he probably never thought about the fact that on one end, he'll promote the fact that he pardoned nonviolent drug offenders, um, such as Alice Johnson. And on the other end, he's talking about executing people just like Alice Johnson. And that just there occurred to him um, based on Brett Bear's questioning. And you saw the confusion that came of it. But indeed, he has been promoting at rallies and um, elsewhere the idea of the death penalty for drug dealers. I am calling for the death penalty for drug dealers and human traffickers, which will, upon its passage, reduce it will reduce drug distribution. And, and it once again shows us how everything is for applause. Everything's how does this play in this given moment? Over here, people kind of liked that I pardon someone like Alice Johnson, so I'm going to talk about that. And over here, people cheer when I say death penalty for drug dealers. There's no coherence and there's no um, policy principle. It's just for the applause um, and for Trump's ego. Here's another example of this. I'm calling on Republicans and Democrats immediately to institute, to get to Washington and institute the death penalty for drug dealers. You will no longer have a problem. Yeah. So then when those two applause lines contradict, we get the moment that you just saw. Complete and total confusion and panic. The uh, other moment I wanted to take a look at from this Fox News Brett Bear interview with Donald Trump round two, uh, part two of this, was uh, a question about the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. And watching Trump interact with this and try to contend with the fact that a lot of his followers have all these conspiracy theories about the vaccine, but he's someone who always wants to take credit for anything that he can take credit for. And because the vaccine was something that got developed, um, the COVID-19 vaccine specifically, while he was president, he wants to be able to take credit for that and also doesn't want to make his followers mad. And he has such a hard time with that. Um, and you'll notice him in this clip dealing with that in real time. We'll watch it and then discuss. Last thing on COVID, in your mind, did the COVID vaccine work? It's a, such an interesting question, because not only that, I also did the Regenerons of the world, you know, the whole, well, we did a tremendous job on that. Uh, but we had a wet vaccine. Now, you have different, you have different COVIDs. You had COVID-19, and then you have different Strange. COVIDs. But we had, a, original was COVID-19, which was the roughest one. So I have a Democrat friend who's very smart. Hopefully he votes for me, but he's very smart. He said, I don't understand one thing about you. I watch your rallies. They're incredible. You talk about beating ISIS. You talk about taxes. You talk about uh, regulation. You talk about everything. But you never saw, said that, I've never heard you talk about how the incredible job you did with the vaccines. Because as you know, I got them done in nine months, and it was supposed to take anywhere from five to 12 years. I broke their ass, okay? And you know who doesn't like me? So I don't think I have to tell you. It wouldn't have taken 10 to 12 years without Trump. He pretends he was in the lab figuring it out. But uh, I do think for all the damage that Trump did, at least he didn't mess up the development of the COVID vaccine. Too much the FDA because they were very bureaucratic and I got it done. And he said, you may have saved in the world throughout the world, a hundred million people and you never talk about it. I said, I really 
don't want to talk about it because as a Republican, it's not a great thing to talk about because for some reason, it's just not. For some reason? Yeah, for some reason, because people love the vaccines and people hate the vaccines, but conservatives aren't. And, and I understand both sides of it, by the way. I understand both sides very well. What I didn't do is the mandates. The mandates and the vaccine. You had these governors mandating. Well, you did with the and Defense by the way, Department. Ron DeSantis. The Pentagon did. Ron DeSantis. And everything comes back to Ron DeSantis. Uh, so this is, you know, we talked about with this last Fox News clip uh, from this same interview, how everything about Trump's life is for the stroking of his ego and for applause lines. And so here, in living a life that is centered around that, he's trained himself to absolutely often take even more credit than he possibly could reasonably for absolutely anything possible. But then that now is running up against his ambition to please his movement and keep them cheering for him. And so then he goes, I developed it and people say, I'm getting a hair in my eye, um, people say that it saved hundreds of millions of lives because of me. And also I understand why my movement doesn't like it but it's good, but they, they think it's bad. And I get that they think it's bad. And I understand that it's bad, but it's good. And I've never understood this about the MAGA movement. I've tried to ask people at these rallies that I go to, if you believe these conspiracy theories about the vaccine, it's a plot to put a microchip in you or whatever. Why is it that as you watch Trump and he's softened up, he stopped uh, recently because of the booing and stuff at rallies, but he has taken credit for multiple times the development. So why do you not think that's Trump's conspiracy then? If he multiple times has even taken too much credit for the vaccine, why is it that you don't think he's a part of the conspiracy theory? And there's always some bizarre answer of, well, no, he trusted people and they were lying to him and this, that, and the other thing. But it is one of the rare issues where Trump's movement, and we correctly identify the hardcore MAGA supporters as cultists, where almost everything they're fully in line with Trump on. He can say, all of a sudden, grass is purple, boom, grass is purple. Except on this, even when he tried to say, hey, the vaccine, though, kind of good, huh? huh? They rejected it. And you probably remember pretty uh, infamous moments where he gets booed at, at rallies over this issue, and that's why he stopped talking about it. And the movement rejected his line on it, which is very strange for this cult-like uh, movement. And then the other interesting thing that will be fascinating and terrifying to watch in this uh, GOP primary field is the fact that DeSantis is using this issue to attack Trump. So then Trump is going to try to run away from this issue and make the whole movement likely even more um, detached from reality on the subject of the medical uh, community and the science on vaccines and so uh DeSantis has been saying Trump was too in line with Dr. Fauci which if you were around during that time is wild for someone to believe but genuinely DeSantis is constantly saying Trump was too pro Fauci and too pro vaccine too pro mandate so then Trump likely will have to argue no 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 I'm not no I was so irresponsible I promise I did not handle anything correctly or in line with the medical community and that will be the argument and that's a very uh, sad, dangerous, and concerning reflection on the modern state of the Republican Party. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with much more after this. One of our sponsors is Ounce of Hope, offering high-quality THC cannabis products shipped right to your door anywhere in the U.S., 100% federally legal, giving my listeners 20% off. Ounce of Hope is an aquaponic cannabis company, which means that their process is sustainably raising fish using the nutrient rich water from the fish habitat, meaning the fish poop to feed to the cannabis plants as fertilizer, organic and symbiotic. They donate the fish to local homeless shelters. They donate their excess fish fertilizer to small farms and gardens in their community. So there are many things to love about Ounce of Hope. But what they have for you is just a great variety of cannabis edibles, topicals, oils and more. They have CBD. They have products with Delta 8 and Delta 9 THC. 
their psychoactive THC products do have the effect associated with marijuana, but it's federally legal because it's made from hemp so they can ship it to you anywhere in the United States. Unlike other companies that sell Delta eight and Delta nine THC products, ounce of hopes process is all done in house. So, you know, the products arriving at your door are safe and high quality. Ounce of hope is giving David Pakman show listeners 20 percent off everything they offer when you go to ounceofhope.com and use the code Pacman. That's O U N C E of hope.com code Pacman for 20 percent off. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P. dot com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Wild Health, founded by two emergency room physicians. Wild Health takes your genetics and your biometrics and your lifestyle data to really tailor suggestions to your exact needs in terms of nutrition and exercise and sleep and supplements and all of those things. And the whole idea is just for you to function at your best. It's really a quite it's a simple goal, but it's a complex goal to achieve. You might have a specific health goal. You want to sleep better. You want to lose weight. You want to stay healthy and just feel good. Wild Health will tailor a care plan with lifestyle interventions instead of medications, which I prefer as an approach. Wild Health will pair you with a care team that includes a board certified precision medicine physician and accredited health coach who can uh, receive messages from you anytime through the app. It's fully virtual telemedicine. And if you're really trying to reach your top physical and mental condition, try Wild Health's premium program at wildhealth.com slash premium, which includes the white glove concierge service, unlimited visits, even higher touch care. These results are really compelling. Patients have seen improvements to diabetic markers, reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, reduction in inflammation and more. Go to wildhealth.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman for 20 percent off. That's wildhealth.com slash Pacman. Using code Pacman saves you 20 percent. The link is in the podcast notes. And we're back on the David Pacman show. Luke Beasley here filling in for David while he's away. Republican presidential candidate and former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, has been very effectively and often hilariously mocking and criticizing Trump for um, his indictment, of course, on federal criminal charges in relation to his willful retention of national defense information. And Chris Christie's someone who I personally have criticized a lot. He endorsed Trump in 2016. We have so many differences, but at least he's a Republican who's willing to actually aggressively, accurately criticize Donald Trump. And that's rare in this current political environment. Um, and it's good to see, especially within presidential candidates and Chris Christie does it really effectively. And so I know David's gone through examples in the past and I have another one for you here. Um, Chris Christie mocking Trump over his indictment. And the question on Trump is, do you trust his judgment? Hmm? He's showing us his judgment. They are literally begging him to return the documents letter after letter from the national archives. Then they send a grand jury subpoena that should get any normal person's attention. Nope. Why, why doesn't it? I mean, you've been around the guy a lot. Because he is so 
He he's so overwrought that he lost to Biden. And I can't blame him. I mean, Joe Biden's never beat anybody outside of Delaware in his entire career, right? And now you lose to him. He doesn't want to believe he's not president anymore. And when the raid happened, I had a bunch of people say to me, well, why do you think he kept the documents? Is he going to sell them to a foreign government? Is he going to blackmail somebody? I'm like, you people are nuts. You don't know Donald Trump. This is all about showing off. That's why he kept them, because he wanted to continue to pretend to be president. Think about this. He would ship the documents to Bedminster for summer vacation. Like they're a friggin' family member. Oh, we're going off for summer vacation. Don't forget the documents. What's he doing with the documents all summer? Here's an alert to him. You are no longer president. You don't need to have the documents around you anymore. You don't need them. You're out. It's absurd. Mm. Absurd is an understatement. And I do think that that played into this and that could be a central part of why he held on to these documents he couldn't accept that he was no longer president and had no right to them and so in some twisted sense it made him feel better to hold on to them and be able to brag to people and show off the fact that he still had this information because as of now we don't have any evidence that he was doing anything beyond that um, with the classified sensitive information he had his hands on. And so within that context, it leaves you wondering what the heck was he risking violating the law for? Why was he holding on to this? And it's because of his own insecurity, sensitivity, and uh, ambition to constantly stroke his own ego. And uh, this plays into a lot. Both of these situations are dangerous, but the second situation where this applies is the most dangerous possible one, which is the election. Part of the reason that he just could not and cannot or chooses to not stop lying about the 2020 election is he is deep down to his core so deeply insecure and sensitive that he can't accept that he lost to Joe Biden. He can't accept that he lost the election. And so instead, he has built this whole alternate reality that he can live in and his followers will support him in that. And that's what we're seeing with all this election denying. Um, that's what we're seeing with the anti-democratic efforts um, by his movement. Because at the end of the day, he couldn't accept in 2020 that he lost. That's It's as simple as that. And it is pretty wild to think about, um, both with the classified information and with his election denying, how it comes down to a deeply insecure, broken, <laughs> um, narcissistic man. And that's pretty stunning. Here's more from Chris Christie during a uh, different uh, recent Fox News interview. You got to take with a grain of salt everything he says, including last night saying he didn't have time to go through the boxes that the government was asking him for for a year and a half because he's too busy. Every picture I saw of Donald Trump since he left the White House is him on a golf course playing golf. Maybe he could have spent a few hours going through the boxes so we could avoid what's happening here to the country. Um yeah, that was completely uh, nonsense. He said during that Fox News interview, oh, I was just going through the documents because I didn't have, uh, or I was holding on to the documents because I didn't have time to go through them and I had to get my personal things out, really. That's why you conspired with other individuals to keep it out of the hands of federal authorities and lied to federal authorities and did all these different things to keep the documents just because you didn't have enough time um, as you're spending, as Chris Christie pointed out, days upon days on the golf course? I don't think so, Donald. Well, Lauren Boebert is pushing to impeach Biden. Whoa, you'll never guess it. Seems to be now the move that a lot of these MAG Republicans take whenever they don't feel like they're getting enough attention, they're not relevant enough within the news cycle. I'm going to impeach Biden for anything, whatever. Um, so I'll first show you a recent interview where he talks about why she's uh, impeaching Joe Biden, and then we'll look at her on the House floor advocating for her articles of impeachment. Um, the single greatest country in the world. I introduced these articles of impeachment not for personal gain or even political popularity. I introduced articles of impeachment. Sure. 
impeachment on behalf of the American people. And if there are um, members of Congress in the Republican conference um, who uh, don't want to bring this up and debate it in committee, then I will make sure that a privileged resolution comes to the floor and um, fo force members of Congress to vote on these articles of impeachment. I'm tired of waiting around. Americans all across the country are screaming that we need to do something. They're tired of only having hearings and investigations and um, just uh, talking heads on TV saying what they want to do or what they're going to do. And so I made sure that I drafted these articles of impeachment in a manner that I could call them up for a vote at any time. Uh, so I, I want um, uh, to see if they're going to bring them up in committee. And if not, then we, we, we are going to uh, force this on the House floor and, um, and really hold um, members of Congress um, in a place and in a position to say, do you think that this man should stay in office or not? Now, of course, we... Okay. So apparently it's over the border, the southern border, which is yet another example of many of these Republicans choosing the political attacks, the political stunts over a real discussion about actual solutions in regard to problems that we do experience with our southern border. They've been around for a while, but humanitarian problems, logistical, systemic, and there are real discussions that should be had. Uh, there are real reforms that we can make. But none of that can happen if we're over here having to deal with Lauren Boebert's impeachment um, of Joe Biden. And apparently, we'll get to in a later segment, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert clashing, it seems, over this because Marjorie Taylor Greene is unhappy. I guess that Lauren Boebert's taking her limelight. Um, but Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is also apparently frustrated with this. This is from CBS. A push by some House Republicans to impeach President Biden has become the latest headache for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy caused by conservative hardliners. GOP Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado introduced articles of impeachment against Mr. Biden on Tuesday as a privileged resolution, fast-tracking its consideration under House rules by circumventing the normal committee process. The articles focus on the president's handling of the U.S.-Mexico border and immigration. On Wednesday, McCarthy expressed frustration with Boebert calling her effort to impeach Mr. Biden premature. She never uh, told... She had never told members about it or never talked to me, McCarthy told reporters. Before you put something forward, shouldn't you first talk to the conference about it? Because we're doing investigations. Why would you do this? <laughs> we're doing investigations. We're doing one political stunt, Lauren. Why are you making it messy with another political stunt? But despite the frustration, she is charging forward. And this was her on the House floor recently. Auto seek recognition. Mr. Speaker, pursuant to Clause 2A1 of Rule 9, I rise to give notice of my intent to raise a question of the privileges of the House. The form of the resolution is as follows, HRES 503, impeaching Joseph R. Biden, Jr., President of the United States, for high crimes and misdemeanors. Resolved that Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr. is impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors and that the following articles of impeachment be exhibited to the, to the United States Senate. Articles of impeachment exhibited by the House of Representatives of the United States of America in the name of itself. Does anyone else get the sense that when she's doing stuff, and this is different than a lot of uh, bad faith actors, she seems deeply confused about what she's doing. A lot of individuals, they know what they're doing. It's bad. It's dishonest. They might not be knowledgeable people, but they at least know what's going on and they're just doing bad things. Lauren Boebert is doing bad things, but seems to be deeply confused about what she's even doing. Um, what's going on here? Which is fascinating. Um, make sure you are subscribed to The David Pakman Show. Make sure you're subscribed to my channel, Luke Beasley, on YouTube to get more of what you're getting now. And after the break, we'll talk about Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene seemingly over this subject, exchanging some words. I've had such trouble finding a great razor where I am not cutting myself or getting those nicks on my skin, which are so common with the cheap disposable razors. You have to meet our sponsor, Henson Shaving. Henson actually manufactures parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover, and they are bringing that exact same precision engineering to the shaving experience. It hurts when you shave. 
because blades extend too far and thus they wobble slightly. But with their aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson is able to make metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair, which means a secure, stable blade with the vibration free shave. It also has built in channels to evacuate the hair and the cream. No more clogs, no more rubbing your thumb on the razor to get the hair out. I use Henson at home. Shaving is a great experience now. Henson wants to be the best razor, not the best razor business, which means you only need to buy it once and it's awesome. Go to hensonshaving.com slash Pacman, add a razor and a hundred pack of blades to your cart, then enter the code Pacman to get the hundred blades for free. That is a three year supply. That's H E N S O N shaving.com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Think of your most personal emails. If you're using a free email provider, you should know that they're scanning every email you send and receive even after you delete it. They're usually using the data to build a picture of your life to show you ads, which many find creepy. Our sponsor start mail never scans or tracks your emails. Privacy is what comes first. And unlike other email services, when you delete an email in start mail, it is gone forever. It also protects your data by blocking tracking pixels in emails, which companies and hackers can use to track you. You can create unlimited email aliases to protect your identity and cut down on spam. You can encrypt every email you send, even if the recipient isn't using encryption. Startmail gives you 20 gigs of storage. That's more than you get on Gmail. And it only takes a few clicks to migrate all of your emails and contacts over to Startmail. Go to startmail.com slash Pacman to get 50% off your first year. That's only about two bucks a month. That's S T A R T mail.com slash Pacman for 50% off. The link is in the podcast notes. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert's feud has exploded. It is pretty bonkers what we're about to talk about. Um, so, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, two of the most radical, most extreme MAGA Republicans, super detached from reality, super anti-democratic, super dangerous. But despite being similar in those ways, apparently, personally, they very much despise one another. And we talked about in the last segment the fact that Lauren Boebert is now trying to impeach Joe Biden. And it seems based on that and some other things that have built up, but that has been or that is for this story kind of the spark. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is very upset with Lauren Boebert because she feels like Lauren Boebert's copying her or taking her attention. Very strange. And this built to reportedly a moment of Marjorie Taylor Greene calling Lauren Boebert um, as the Daily Beast writes. And actually, I'm trying to think about the, the radio and television affiliates of the David Pacman show. I'll just say for this story, little B word, okay? You, I think you can figure out what that is. Uh, this is from the Daily Beast. Marjorie Taylor Greene calls Boebert a little B on the house floor. The messy feud between two of MAGA world's biggest stars burst into public view on Wednesday when Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene called Representative Lauren Boebert a little B to her face on the floor of the House, a U.S. House of Representatives. The angry exchange came as the two lawmakers have been swiping at each other over their competing this is so <laughs> their competing resolutions to impeach President Joe Biden. I want to impeach Biden. No, I want to impeach Biden. But tensions came to a head on Wednesday after Boebert leveraged a procedural tool to force a vote on her own impeachment resolution. We talked about that in the last segment within days, undercutting Green, who had offered her own resolution, but not with the procedural advantages of forcing a vote. Look at yourself, MAGA. Look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, Green apparently cursed out Boebert while the House was voting Wednesday afternoon as the two spoke in a center aisle. We'll look at this video in a moment of the House floor. Part of their interaction was captured on C-SPAN's cameras. Uh, according to two sources that saw the exchange and a third familiar with the matter, the back and forth began when Boebert approached Green then seated in the chamber and confronted her over statements you made about me publicly. All three of the sources said Green called Boebert a B. One of the sources said Green called her a little. Uh, 
be. So you can take your pick on which one you think actually happened. Not a really big difference to me. Apparently, Green said that Boebert copied her articles of impeachment, but um, Boebert denies that. So that is as immature and as MAGA GOP as it gets. And here's the video. There is no audio of them saying this, but we can just imagine. Take your conversations to the back. Off the floor. For what purpose does the gentlewoman... Order, please. Okay. For what purpose does the gentlewoman from Florida, Mrs. Luna... I'll mute the video but you can see it seems somewhat heated just by what you're watching on screen but with the added context of what is being reported what a moment and you combine that with what we saw during the speaker vote where um, Matt Gates was lunged at by another member and there's just chaos within this MAGA GOP. And is that necessarily a reflection of how outrageous their policy positions and uh, rhetoric otherwise are? No. But it is interesting that the party with the most dangerous views also happens to be a chaotic mess with low character interpersonally. Um, it just so happens, and I think those things tend to coincide, that that's the characteristic of this movement as well. You could never imagine with all the differences Democrats will have. You remember there was a big divide between Joe Manchin and progressive Democrats during kind of the build back better debate era. And you can never imagine something like that happening. There's a level of seriousness, professionalism and maturity within the Democratic Party that apparently is just completely evaporating within the Republican Party. Pretty wild. And it's all over their argument over who should get the attention, I guess, for um, impeaching Joe Biden. Make sure you are subscribed to my YouTube channel if you want to get more of what you're getting today, Luke Beasley on YouTube. Presidential candidate Ron DeSantis uh, posted a very bizarre video where he's standing in San Francisco next to a wall with some graffiti on it talking about how San Francisco is collapsing. It's gone to hell. And it's all terrible because of leftist policies. He looks noticeably confused, disoriented, talking about this subject. And we'll dive more deeply into this subject after taking a look at this. Look around. Uh, the city is not vibrant anymore. It's really collapsed because of leftist policies. And uh, these policies have caused people to flee this area. They don't prosecute criminals like they do in most parts of the country. Uh, and the wreckage has really, really been sad to see. And so I've seen so many businesses boarded up. Uh, I've seen so much uh, riffraff just running around. And um, it just shows you these policies matter. Uh, leadership matters. They are doing it wrong here. Look around. Okay, so up front I'll say, does San Francisco have its problems like all places? Absolutely. Are there specific policy decisions that have probably been made that I would disagree with? Sure. But what I really wish that a lot of these GOP politicians that talk about New York City has gone to hell and Los Angeles and San Francisco, it's all terrible because of democratic policies. I wish they would answer for the fact that when you look nationwide, the trend is actually Republican policies fail people on all of these different metrics. And why is it that you're now over here in San Francisco concerned about the leftist policies when there are places far closer to home you could be concerned about under your leadership, Ron DeSantis? And what I mean by that, this is an interesting piece from CNN um, that was put out in the wake of the murder of Bob Lee that points out the point that I'm I'm making here, we'll read from this. The stabbing death of Cash App founder Bob Lee has prompted comments perpetuating the notion that San Francisco is dangerous and crime riddled, but data shows violent crime, especially homicides, are well below that of many other cities of similar size. Um, and if you jump down here, San Francisco recorded 56 homicides each in 2022 and 2021. But when you skip down to or jump down to uh, a place near Ron DeSantis, Jacksonville, Florida, meanwhile, saw 129 
homicides in 2021 and 154 in 2022, not to mention countless other places um, we could talk about with higher crime rates or higher homicide rates specifically there. It's not to say San Francisco doesn't have its problems or other places don't have the problems. All of them matter. But the dishonesty of this notion that is pushed by many Republicans that democratic policies lead to high crime, democratic policies lead to high poverty or whatever it might be. It's just not accurate. We talked about, um, or I should say, I've talked about my own show previously, countless times, a study that was done that I know Pacman has mentioned um, as well, that looked at in 2020 homicide rates in states that voted for Trump, typically red states that also have red governance and um, states that voted for Joe Biden in 2020. And what it found was states that voted for Trump have a 40% higher um, homicide rate. And that's something DeSantis is never going to post a little video about, right? He's never going to go on the ground one of those red, uh, to one of those red places to discuss that fact. And then also when you look at the top states uh, in ranking for poverty, you have Mississippi, New Mexico, Louisiana, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, Georgia, District of Columbia, uh, West Virginia, Tennessee. What you'll notice there, almost all red states. And again, I'm not saying that because ha ha ha, absolutely not. I'm not saying that because we shouldn't also care about problems in blue areas. I'm saying that because it highlights the dishonesty coming from people like Ron DeSantis. And it's important to realize actually investing more in communities as Democrats are more willing to do, investing more in those who need the help, it benefits everyone. It benefits the community. It lifts people up um, in all places in all levels of the economic ladder. And that's why these types of policies yield better results. Um, and I wish Ron DeSantis would make a video about that. Well, James Comer is joining the ranks of Republican politicians calling for the defunding of the police, the federal police, but still the police, the FBI more specifically. And I have for you here a moment from a recent interview where he says, um, this that he wants to defund the FBI and then right after it um, this is a little combination of two clips you'll see a past clip of him talking about how against defund the police he is and before we dive into it I'm someone who never supported the defund the police uh, proposal I don't currently and it was a relatively small part of the left but based on that small part of the left that at least was responding to an actual problem that should be addressed just with what I saw as an incorrect solution being put forward. That became a campaign item for the right to this day. The left wants to defund the police. Oh my gosh. Even though, again, relatively small part of the left. Now it's them who wants to defund the police. I have no confidence in the FBI. We need to reform the FBI from, from top to bottom, and that should be a major priority for the Republican majority. And at the very least... We need to significantly cut their funding. I believe uh, of all the things that I've heard. And that's the past clip. In my three and a half years in Congress that I disagree with, that I think uh, isn't uh, very good policy. I think that uh, the movement to defund the police is probably the dumbest thing that I've ever heard of. And it, it's, uh, it bothers me deeply because uh, we have to have law enforcement, especially in times where uh, you know, there's there's uh, a lot of anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of disagreement. Uh, we need to maintain law and order. And our law enforcement personnel put their lives on the line every day. Uh, so I want to go on the record. And I hope that every one of my colleagues in Congress will go on the record uh, to say that we strongly support uh, our men and women in law enforcement. And we certainly, certainly uh, never want to defund the police. So and now defund federal law enforcement, he says. And so this is important to point out, number one, because of the hypocrisy and related to that, because uh, we can't take at face value a lot of these Republican politicians' statements about having a certain principle. We're opposed to that because of this principle, because often the second that principle is no longer politically advantageous, it's no longer a principle which means they never had an authentic principle. It's not about wanting to support law enforcement. It's about 
at that time, he was okay with um, the state of law enforcement. Now, based on a fabrication of um, what federal law enforcement is doing, he's not okay and he does want to defund. He does think that's the solution. It's contradictory. It's hypocritical. But it's something we've gotten very used to with a lot of these Republican politicians. And the other reason it's important to point this out is because it's so absurd, as I've now mentioned a couple of times. At least defund the police after, uh, at least when it got very prominent, after the murder of George Floyd was in response to, was trying to put forward a solution to something real. This is putting forward a solution to a fake problem that the federal government, that the FBI is being weaponized against conservatives. That's not happening. It's made up. And that's what's sad and unfortunate about so many of these Republican talking points. They come from a place of fabricated, fear-mongering uh, subjects and issues that are created. And I wish the supporters of individuals like James Comer could wake up to the fact that the reason James Comer likes talking so much about his accusations against Biden and investigating Biden and um, we got to go after the FBI and the FBI is coming after you because that's just words. That's just talk. That's easy. That's not actually coming up with and implementing policy solutions that improve your life in a significant way. So he'll take easy street if you'll let him. But I wish Republican voters would not let individuals like James Comer continue to do that. Are you tired of getting crushed in the market or the volatility? There is some good news, which is that Treasury yields are surging. You can now get a whopping 5% yield on Treasury bills. That is higher than any high yield savings account that I have seen. But buying U.S. Treasuries can be a complicated process, at least it used to be. That's where our sponsor, public.com, comes in. With public, you can buy Treasury bills in seconds right from your phone. Couldn't be easier. Plus, public will even automatically roll over your investments at maturity. So you have one less thing to think about. Take another thing off your plate. Treasury bills are government backed securities considered one of the safest investments out there. And when you buy them through public, they are securely stored at the Bank of New York Mellon, which is the largest custodian bank in the world. No minimum hold periods, no settlement delays. You have full access to your funds whenever you need them. Put your cash to work. Earn that 5% yield by going to public.com slash Pacman. Don't miss the opportunity. The link is in the podcast notes. When you're using websites and apps, your device sends out data about you into the open, who you are, where you go, things you like. That data then gets sold around for advertising purposes, which is why every time I connect to the Internet, I use a VPN to hide my IP address. And our sponsor, Private Internet Access, is the most trustworthy VPN on the market. It's the only VPN that has proven multiple times in court they don't log your activity. Private Internet Access protects you from the prying eyes of hackers, your Internet service provider, tech companies. Private Internet access is also super fast for streaming and for downloads. You can watch your favorite streaming platforms as if you're in another country like the UK to access cool new content. And with just one account, you can protect unlimited devices all at the same time. This is really a game changer. Private Internet access is giving my audience 83 percent off. That's 203 a month plus four months free. Go to PIAVPN.com slash David. The link is in the podcast notes. Welcome back, everybody, to the David Pakman Show. Former Republican Congressman Will Hurd is joining the ranks of Republicans jumping into this 2024 presidential primary. It is getting very, very full. Uh, Will Hurd, like I said, was a congressman, and he also worked in the CIA, and he's kind of known as a more moderate Republican and he is more moderate. He's criticized Trump. It's another example, though, of someone who I don't really understand how he fits into the picture, how he would win a Republican primary with how MAGA the GOP is right now. Um, but here's this from CNN. Former Texas Representative Will Hurd launches 2024 bid for GOP presidential nomination. Former Texas uh, Representative Will Hurd on Thursday launched a bid for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, joining a crowded field looking to challenge frontrunner, former president Donald 
Trump. We'll look at uh, him talking about why he announced in just a moment. But continuing, Heard has been outspoken in his criticism of Trump following the former president's indictment on federal charges over his alleged mishandling of classified documents. Trump has pleaded not guilty to all charges. And then, interestingly, it lists everyone in the race right now in case you've forgotten. You have DeSantis, you have Mike Pence, you have Tim Scott, you have Nikki Haley, you have Asa Hutchinson, Chris Christie, Doug Burgum, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Francis Suarez, and Larry Elder, and now Will Hurd. So with that being said, uh, here's this from CBS Mornings where he's making this announcement. I want to let everybody know that this morning, um, I filed to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States. Uh, this is a, a decision that my wife and I decided to do because we live in complicated times and we need common sense. There are a number of generational defining challenges that we're faced with in the United States of America. Everything from the Chinese government trying to surpass us as the global superpower. Uh, the fact that inflation is persistent at a time when technologies like artificial intelligence is going to upend every single industry. And our kids, or their, their scores in math, science, and reading are the lowest they've ever been hmm. in this century. These are the issues we should be talking about. And to be frank, I'm pissed that we're not talking about these things. I'm pissed that our elected officials are telling us to, to hate our neighbors, right? Our neighbors are not our enemies. They're our fellow Americans who we just happen to have a disagreement with. These are the issues that, that we should be talking about. And I believe the Republican Party can be the party that talks about the future, not the past. We should be putting out a vision of <clears throat> how do we have unprecedented peace? How do we have a thriving economy? How do we make sure our kids have a world-class edu education regardless okay. of their... We'll stop it there. But... Uh... You know, it's interesting. I have a former Republican friend who, still a friend, former Republican, to be clear, and he's constantly emailing me different people he thinks could be a good presidential option. Um, and he's like, obviously, I know you differ with this person because I'm not a Republican and any conservative I'm going to disagree with severely, but would send me more respectable options. Do you think they would have a chance? Would they have a chance? Would they have a chance in this Republican primary? And I've had to explain multiple times. Unfortunately, even though there are a lot of people that I disagree with a lot, but wish would be more prominent within the GOP so that we could have a more healthy, vibrant political discussion. Unfortunately, this current GOP base, at least there are moderate Republicans that still exist, but the base that's the engine that drives the agenda is so extreme. It's so MAGA that the only person who really had a shot of defeating Trump with someone like DeSantis who was trying to be a little Trump 2.0 and failing miserably, apparently. Um, and it is, yes, terrifying. It's so unfortunate, but that's the reality. And so all these people who are jumping in, someone like Chris Christie that we talked about earlier, or Will Hurd, who um, would be far better than Trump, they're not going to have a shot because of that fact, because they are more reasonable than Trump, and that's just not what's selling right now within the MAGA Republican uh, Party base. You guys are probably familiar with Jessica Tarlov on Fox News. She's the one liberal host um, on The Five, and she just does a really good job of effectively knocking down a lot of these right-wing talking points in real time as they're being spewed on The Five by the other hosts. And I have an example of that uh, for you here in relation to Hunter Biden. And uh, producer Pat on yesterday's show talked about how Hunter Biden is expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor charges in relation to not paying his taxes. He has since, but he um, didn't for a time there for two years. And um, he's pleading guilty to those charges, misdemeanors, and then will have a felony charge in relation to lying on a form about getting a firearm. Um, even though he was addicted to a controlled substance, he said that he wasn't. And uh, that allowed him to get that firearm. And so that felony charge is going to be dismissed if he follows through with certain guidelines. And of course, you can expect, and I think producer Pat predicted this yesterday, the right wing has been saying this is a big uh, example of the two-tier justice system. It's a sweetheart deal. And he's being treated with kid gloves because he's Hunter Biden. And see, this is, this is what we've been saying. But in reality... It's not an example of that. It's not an example of Hunter Biden getting preferential treatment, as Jessica Tarlov will point out very nicely. I will note 
these charges and the investigation didn't uncover or doesn't have to do with all these accusations we've heard from the right wing. So that's part of the reason why they're really unhappy and want this to be an example of the two-tier justice system. Yeah, I could, <laughs> I could Good see answer. that. It's okay. certainly been <laughs> trickling out since Saturday, which was the first official campaign event. And then Hunter was going to be a major talking point on the campaign, yeah. and that is slowly going away, but for good reason. So to try to tackle all the points that everybody made, which were aplenty, so what Hunter is not guilty of is being a Republican, but there's a Republican very closely allied with Trump named Roger Stone, who did worse than Hunter Biden. So he tax evaded $2 million, not $1.2 million, $2 million. And guess what happened? He was allowed to pay it back, and he wasn't even criminally charged. Hunter Biden, criminally charged, could face probation. Roger Stone, top guy to Donald Trump, skates free on that. It seems... Wait, didn't they raid his house? Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't he the guy I, that I was, went in I'm talking about being criminal. No, you, you say guns a-blazing about everyone just because someone is carrying a gun. No one shot up any houses. Oh. No one was forced out of their house that in their underpants. That was the one where they tipped off CNN, though, to be yeah, there for the, the Oh, the, the huge crime of having CNN there. Okay. But I so, like the fact that you like guns now. I, I really don't. <laughs> and actually, I think that there should be stricter gun control in this country. But if you look at the DOJ records about how often what Hunter Biden did is actually charged, it's basically nil. Two hundred and nine. Tell that to Lil Wayne. Do you notice I didn't interrupt a single person on the panel, so just give me a second. I am so sorry. In 2019, there were 298 cases brought of people falsifying their gun application records out of 27 million background checks that were completed. That's the year that Hunter Biden got that weapon. That means that this is something that doesn't get charged. If you want to say to the DOJ you should be charging on this, go ahead and do that. But there's no reason mm -hmm. that Hunter... Absolutely. So number one, just surface level thing... <laughs> If you're a viewer of Fox News and you see that, don't you think that, I mean, just the the way, the style in which they present information, the difference between Jessica Tarlov and the other hosts and how they're jumping in like children. Well, what about this? Oh, you like guns now? And not actually making serious points while she's calmly presenting actual uh, facts. Just the aesthetic seems clear, separate from the substance of the points that are also clearly better. Um, to be a much more um, of depth presentation of the facts. But on the substance of what she's talking about, it's important that we go one by one so that later on, as they list off all the reasons they think there's a two-tier justice system, we can reference all the different debunkings that have been done by us as well, um, me, David Pakman, whoever it might be, because as this narrative gets built, it becomes all these examples that on their own, as we'll talk about here as we are currently, aren't actually examples of the two-tier justice system. But people don't hear that. And so they get a bunch of examples. See, Hunter Biden got this deal and it's a sweetheart deal. Just believe us, but we're not providing evidence of that. Or the FBI did this thing and that thing that we're not really providing evidence for. And so then people have a collection of examples in their heads and they think, oh my gosh, surely, even if I hear one thing get knocked down here and there, surely... There is this two-tier justice system that hurts Republicans and benefits Democrats because of all these examples I've been hearing. When in reality, if we go one by one, they don't hold water. They're not examples of uh, Biden weaponizing the government against conservatives or to benefit his son or to benefit Democrats. It's just not something um, that's happening. And it's, it's really unfortunate. So many people are buying into that. I went to the Miami arrest of Trump, as many of you guys saw and talked to a lot of Trump supporters as they were really unhappy. And I would ask them, okay, so you read the indictment and do you think that the evidence is, is not real? Or do you think that the law doesn't apply here? Or why do you think this is so horrible that Trump's being held accountable? And I think every person said, well, I haven't read the indictment or I haven't read the whole indictment. Most of them just said, I haven't even seen the indictment. So then how could you possibly know that this is an example of Trump being politically persecuted? And then it would be, well, what about Hillary? Well, what about Hunter Biden? And as we're trying to do with this example, and you can do with those individual ones, if you dive into the specifics, you understand why, oh, that's not an example of unfair treatment. That's an example of that being a different case with different facts that was investigated and yielded different results. Not because of a bias, but because of different facts sometimes lead investigators to different conclusions. And that's perfectly... Um,
fair. But now this view that anything done to a Republican, a conservative that is prominent and is an example in reality of them being held accountable for their violations of the law in the case of Trump, of course, very prominently, actually just fits into the worldview that's already been created for so many people that conservatives are being persecuted. One more um, example of this being fact-checked real quick. Obviously, you're already hearing a lot of shouting, oh, sweetheart deal, oh, this, oh, that. None of us really knows the details of the possible charges here and exactly what was agreed to as part of this plea, Jennifer. But how do how does one assess whether this is the type of deal that a normal person, not a president's child, would get in this circumstance? So you would look to other similar cases, right? So on the gun uh, form charge, it's very, very standard for someone in this situation who lies on the form because they're an addict. The gun is long gone, apparently only had it for a couple of weeks. It's very standard in these circumstances for this diversion to occur and to, to wipe out the charges, assuming he successfully completes it. So that's totally standard. Mm -hmm. And the tax fraud is, is similar as well. I mean, he paid those taxes back a long time ago. That's something that DOJ takes very, very seriously when negotiating these deals. And I'll also say, that Hunter Biden was an addict at the time. And so there was discussion of this back when this investigation got going. When you're talking about a drug addict, you have to think about whether you can prove the mens rea. If this goes to trial, is he going to be able to undercut their case about whether he knowingly and willfully didn't pay his taxes? So given all of that and given similar cases with tax fraud, this is not a sweetheart deal. It's a deal. I think it's a good deal for Hunter Biden in that he will stay out of prison and end up with only two misdemeanors on his record. Right. So facts matter, and if you look at the facts of this case, it doesn't fall within the narrative that they're trying to build day after day. Thank you all so much for watching today's show. Again, you can find me at Luke Beasley on YouTube, and if you're a member, I'll see you on the bonus show.